0: morning. Glad you guys are here. Um, so I appreciate Matt last few weeks taking class and, and uh, willing for you guys to show up even though you heard I was teaching today. Or maybe you didn't know, and you can leave. But um, I want to kind of continue with this. Uh, Matt's been talking about apology in the last few weeks. And I want to take it to the next level of what's going on around some apologies. Um, Remember the very first class I said a church conflict is in many ways like all other organizational conflicts, and yet church conflict in many ways is more difficult, painful, and somewhat more complicated than other <laughs> organizational conflict. And we, we kind of talked about that for a minute, but I want to circle back around. Uh, after we've been together for much of the, much of the fall, I want to re-ask <coughs> you the question. What do you think it is that makes conflict within the body of Christ more difficult to resolve, more anxiety-producing for many people, sometimes more difficult to control. I I, I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but you see those wildfires, wildfires in California, and I've seen conflict in churches kind of expand at that kind of rate, too, you know? So what do you guys think? What is it that's going on that makes it different? Maybe expectations. What do you mean? Well, I mean, you think about people being part of a church family mm-hmm. and all being there for the same reason, to, to follow and worship Jesus, and I, it feels like it would just be, you would expect things to be smoother because you're all following Jesus, and Jesus was a peaceful person, and so it just kind of instantly goes to, why is this so hard? Why are you being so difficult? Don't you want to be like Jesus? And I know that it's so often that means, why don't you agree with me? yeah. So it's so interesting. One definition of conflict is unmet expectations. The reason conflict rises we have. And, and we have the expectations that we use this term like, and Paul kind of uses body and family, right? Except if like, you look around this room, this is one weird family. I mean, you know, all these people from all these different places that many times have almost nothing in common Who are bound together by one thing, love of Christ, and say we're going to be family. And then, then, because of all of our history of how we've had what we've thought about family, we bring all that to this room, and then we get our we get our we get upset when there's unmet expectations. We talk. I think that's great. What else might make it different or more challenging?
1: Yeah, we don't learn about it. What do you mean? Um, Well, essentially, we talk about
0: turning the other cheek and giving our cloak being the good samaritan but we don't really know how to handle it when it confronts us and when we actually make mistakes or right and, and so we we tended to, to to talk in platitudes fair enough i don't mean that in a negative way we're talking big principles we should turn the other cheek you know and then i remember growing up as a kid i i got in a fight at school and i came home where well, i did get I, I got beat up let's be clear about that I, get I got beat up i came home and my dad's like and it happened again, you know, and, and my dad's like, you're not stand up, this kid. But I'm like, well, first of all, it's a lot bigger than me, you know. And two, I remember saying, you know, I don't think the so Chris, we're supposed to turn their cheeks. I mean, look at me going, you got two cheeks, and they both been hit. You better do something, right? And, and you, now you have this theological crisis with an 11-year-old, like, what does Jesus want me to do, you know, kind of thing. And we don't really, we've talked in... In many churches, I'm not here, but in many churches, we talk these big principles, we should love one another, we should not resort to this and that, but we've never really dug into, what does that mean practically? One more. Somebody, yeah. I think the interpretation of the Bible varies. Yeah. <laughs> among different believers, the issue of women, for example, participating in the church, right. can be a source of controversy, the, uh, the issue of celebrating Christmas, mm-hmm. can be a source of controversy, for sure, in churches. Absolutely. Churches. And, and I tell you those of us who are of a certain age, we could remember a time when at least it seemed like or we pretended like. I think for the most part, everybody kind of with church was kinda of on the same page theologically, right? You used to tease it, you could I could tell you what was going on in the Church of Christ in America if you could tell them the time on Sunday morning, you know, because it all just looked alike. And now you, know, you could sit right next to someone who has deep theological differences and issues. We got a you get teacher burn, but we got front row. Come on in. So I'll go slide back there, don't blame me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, deep feel less all in many many of us don't know how to handle that. How do you deal with that dual role of we both love Jesus, we don't think alike in a in a movement whose very foundation was if you get the externals right, everything else will align. It's been an interesting thing. So we've got all these differences and it's not just churches of Christ, it's all religious groups. Uh, so today I'm going to talk a little bit about one of the things that goes on and how we handle it. I, the way I put it is this. I think we've shown this before and I'll do it again. Remember, healthy, healthy organizations or healthy, healthy groups are part of a three-sided triangle. And you kind of got to have all three of these things to be healthy. People, performance, and process. And for us to be able to, to kind of be the group we need to be, and I think it kind of backs us up, to be the group we've got to be, we, we have to, uh, I said process, process, and there you go. Matt was looking at me like being stupid. <laughs> you have to there remember he's my boss, so there's okay. a That's, right, line. <laughs> That's all right. finger works. Finger uh, works. You know, so people, performance, and process. And all of these will tie into what makes people happy or unhappy within kingdom, okay? And so, as I've told you before, when we do our outside work, churches don't call us when they've driven the bus in the ditch. They've driven the bus in the ditch, they turned the bus upside down, they set the bus on fire, then they'll call, right? <laughs> of these three, where do you think, as we look at congregations and churches and people, where do you think they're the most lacking? in the abilities is it the people they have the expectations they have of one another or the processes they have in place to manage difficulty where do you think they're most lacking generally process process, process. Yeah. process. we and what we tend to do is we get stuck in this loop so they've seen this before and i've talked about this want to remind you though hey you know church and growing well we need we need a new new youth minister we need new preacher. We need new elders. We need, and so we get people in. And then they come down here and there's all these expectations. Some hidden and some clear about what has to happen. It doesn't happen. It's not working. You've been in those places before? And so what's our general response to that? What's that? We need different people. We need to get new people. <laughs> it's obviously a problem. Well, that preacher's not getting Then Let's get another one. Or, you know. Or we get anxiety ridden about performance. We just... We're just it's doing the same thing over and over. Things don't get better and get anxiety ridden. And, and what we don't think about, is there have to be processes in place so when things don't go well, we do know how to have these conversations. Fair enough? And so what we've done so far is have a lot of these process conversations. One of the processes I want to think about today is something called triangling. If you're in therapy, you'll understand pretty clearly what I'm talking about. But I will say, I'm going to give you the organizational structure of every church in America right now, and it doesn't matter what faith heritage they're from. Doesn't matter how they. Doesn't matter what their polity looks like. Here's the structure. You ready? <whistles> Right, it's expanded. How many members you got? All, all organizations, and especially all churches, are a series of interlocking personal triangles. Okay? And you have some, some that are bigger, that have more triangles connected to them than others. They're called stakeholders. You have people who lead. The, you know, all that happens. But you can have your status structure how church works, and you have your real structure for how church works. And what you've got to know is triangles are the center, of the relationship triangles are the center of how churches engage with one another. So there's two things I want to think about this morning. Are you telling me to change deals? Well, I was trying to find you a black one that's disappeared. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll try blue. And understand how those triangles work is the, the key to understand what goes on. Here's the definition of triangle. When any two people end up in stress with one another, they will bring in a third party to relieve really that stress. It is the nature of people. Right? So you got two people. you got person A, person B. They're doing fine. We're going to church and suddenly there's a theological issue. Role of women. Could be they have family issues. Whatever. The ten, they will always, I will say without fail, bring in a third party not to drag you into it Not to make you miserable, but to stabilize the stress they're feeling. Is that making sense? So it's really interesting to me that unless we understand that when people suck us into their stuff, the intent is to stabilize relationships, we're going to completely misunderstand. How many of you have ever been sucked into an argument, church? You ever been sucked into people's stuff? Feel like you got pulled in, right? Now, what I want to tell you, those people dragging you in aren't bad people. It's what they do under pressure. So if A and B can't work it out, now they don't always go to the same person, right? Mm -hmm. Usually they don't. They will go all these different ways, and then suddenly you have anxiety then, because A and B go to D, D goes to F, F goes to G, and then you have this anxiety. They're doing what's perfectly natural for people under stress, but in a... In an organization that doesn't have good systems to manage it, it starts to expand, right? So, how do we manage triangles? How do we manage it when people start to drag us in to problems at church? Go to Matthew 18. I still think this is an interesting passage for us to look at. This is, I got my little print Bible, did (laughs) not I? Seriously. I knew it was a little friend. I didn't realize how little a friend was. I picked it up. Matthew 18, verse 15. We all know this. You know, We're going to Matthew 18 people of church, right? If your brother sins against you, you go to him and show him his fault between the two of you. If he listens to you, you won your brother over. If he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be considered by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church and refuses to listen to even the church, treat me as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever we bound in bound in earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Right? So this looks like a fairly kind of straightforward thing. We have a problem with church. You know, what does it say you should do right off the bat? What's that? Talk tell, tell them to go. Well, somebody, if people are fighting in church and they come to you, let's do it this way. Say that that Brad and uh, Fortune aren't getting along. It happens all the time in school. It's a horrible situation, so we'll pick them up. Brad and Fortune aren't getting along, and they come to you, and Fortune comes to you, and he's like, I can't deal with Brad. Right? The, the, the Matthew 18 model says, what should you do? You imagine, it sounds like you say, to them, you two go work that out. You're not going go work that out, and, and hopefully they'll sort that out themselves, right? How many times has that actually worked if you just sent them back and said, sort it out themselves?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because why? Fortunately, if, if <coughs> 30 people, t- when well, you tried that, and I'm sure you have, mm-hmm. what do they say to you?
1: Well, I think
0: the thing to say is, okay, let's, let's both go and talk to Brad. Okay. Because if you send them back, if you try to send them back, and I've, well, I've seen this, in fact, I've heard this. is our War eighteen. Somebody comes to you tell them, you work it out first. If you say that to them, how often do they go back and do it? Flora, what do you think? Why not? They just don't trust each other. Okay, what do you guys think? They
1: don't have the
0: strategies. Okay, don't have the strategies, skills. Second, I believe if they're coming to you, in most cases, they either are unwilling to do that work or they tried it and failed already, right? Mm-hmm. Many times they're unwilling to do it. So one of the things I think that's a great model we try to encourage them to do, but first step is when they come to me and they say, hey, and my response maybe. so Fortune, when you sat down with Brad and you had that first conversation, how'd it go? Now you're not telling them to do something, you're not putting them in a difficult spot, you're just, so when y'all have, you're assuming the best with them. So when you had that conversation, how'd it go? And Fortune says to me, what well, I didn't have that conversation. And then you need to feign shock and, and empathy. <laughs> you know? Oh, I, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't what, what happened? How come How come you're yeah. each other? Right? And then it puts them on the spot, you know, well, and then what do you think those answers, you guys help me out, you've been through this, what, what are they gonna say back? I don't think he'll listen. He won't listen to me. <laughs> now, of course, they haven't had the conversation, Right, so they suffer from fundamental attribution error, which is assuming you know basically <laughs> lack, uh, lack of information can't stand a void, so we backfill it. If we don't know what people are thinking, we will backfill what we believe about them, and it's always negative. Is that fair enough? Now, I've never heard my backfill. Well, I think he's really interested in helping me out. I, you know, I never heard that one. It's always he won't listen to me. He won't do this. I, I, my favorite is I know what he's thinking. The fact remains, unless he's got a glass in, you don't know what he's doing. Even my wife, though I'm thinking, she's a great guesser. You know, because she's in the right all the time. But but it's interesting that all this happens. So with that point then, your response is I will go back with you and we'll we'll carry this conversation forward. And now you've got yourself a triangle. Alright? Now there's some rules about triangles that are really important. If you follow Matthew 18 and if you're willing to have that conversation, the response is, well, why don't I set up and the three of us go to lunch and you guys have this conversation, right? And now you're triangled in. There's some rules about being a triangle. One of those is, who's the most powerful person in a relationship triangle? That's That's not a rhetorical question. Just give me a shot. What do you think? Who do you think the most A, B, or C's most powerful person in this triangle? The initiator. No. C, they, C. See, there is a wrong answer. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know what a wrong answer? It is. It's just not the answer <laughs> I was looking for. So, uh, so answer is C, right? The most powerful person is the person who's been invited in. Now, I'll be honest. It feels this way, right? Because they're they're pursuing you. They're calling you. They want to talk to you and you get to where you dread to see them down this road? You just dread to see them at church because mm-hmm. it's going to be the same old thing. I bring it up, or they're going to call you up at inopportune times to try to drag. That's another thing about church. If I work with like a company, nobody calls the CEO, doesn't call me on a Saturday morning going, I'm really upset about how my people you know that didn't happen. The church is 24-7. So, what is yes, I'm um, just Thinking uh, sometimes when they reach out to, or when one person reaches out to a third person, I want somebody to support there, sure. their side of it. Always. so they're so, not going to agree on the same person. So very ra- person. Now sometimes they do, but very rarely mm-hmm. they go to separate people. They're looking to emotionally throw <laughs> up on you, right? And they're looking. To, you ever had those conversations? They walk up and look me, whoa, and they walk away. going, <laughs> I feel so much better? <laughs> you know, I love being a Christian. <laughs> right? So right? See, sitting here. They're emotionally throwing up. They're telling all And it feels very, very yuck, right? You think, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't become a Christian to have these kind of conversations. But yet, if we believe Matthew, right, he tells us that they come to us. Now, you're powerful because you have the choice of whether you want to engage this or not. I going to give you permission. You don't have to get involved in people's stuff. You have a choice to walk away if it's not what you need to be doing. Remember we talked about that task relationship model stuff, right? So if someone comes to you and says, oh, I'm having a problem with so-and-so, you're thinking, oh, no, oh, no, now I've got a Matthew 18 in this thing. I've got to have a lunch with them. The fact is you need to decide whether you want to do this because if you don't want to be in this training, you're probably not the best instrument of God's work in that moment. Is that making sense? Man, you don't want to be there. You don't want to talk to them. I'm not sure you're the best person to, to sort that thing out. Maybe the best thing you do is help them find somebody else who can help them sort it out. But let's say for a minute that you decided that's one of the rules. Number one is the most powerful person to strangle is you can decide how much you want to engage it. And I never understood that when I was, in, well, early in my ministry, I did not understand that. I spent too many nights staring at the ceiling how to solve people's problems for them. And that's not your job. Right? So if you come back and you can decide, hey, you know, this is not my giftedness. This is not what I do well. Let's make a phone call, find somebody else who maybe can help you with this. How happy are they going to be with you? This is the problem, right? We spend too much time worrying about how happy people are with us rather than doing what's right for them. So you come back and you say, okay, yeah, yeah, I will help, so please, I've got all these, man, this person's a terrible person, they're an awful person, they don't believe right, their kids are bad, they're mean, or whatever. You hear all this, you decide to get engaged, and you say, hey, how was that conversation when you guys talked? I don't talk to them. They're terrible. They won't talk to me. I can't trust them. There's 110 reasons. I don't feel safe. I hear that one a lot now. It's a new word for us. I don't feel safe with this person. So then you say, Well, I think I'll engage. So then you say, I will set up a lunch. Now, what are you having to do in many cases? Now you've decided you want, the, you want to help kind of have this conversation, but this person drug you in, not this person. So another rule of triangles is what? What are you going to have to do here? If you decide you want to engage, what's your job with this person? You have to listen to them too. What's that? You have to meet and listen with them too. Right, you're going to have to convince that person that you're trustworthy to be a part of this conversation. Fair enough? Because guess what they're thinking? <laughs> you're an emissary. You're a hired gun. The emissary's better, right? I was thinking you're a hired gun. But maybe maybe you're just you know. know. They're thinking, oh, these two are going to gang up on me. So then at this point, you now have to have a conversation with this person that builds enough trust that they believe you can help them have that conversation. Second rule of a triangle. Both sides are rarely equally upset about the problem. You ever seen that one before? It's the end of the world for one side, and the other side's going, what? <laughs> you know, that's the classic, and I know this is sexist, but it's that classic, the wife comes to see the minister, and he's like, I'm married before. That's the guy he's who's going, what? what? What's going on? You know, and they having to bring him up to speed. <laughs> Same thing at church. In fact, I will say this. Let's, this person I'm going to call the identified patient or identified friend right here. This person may have a huge problem or they just may not have the personal capabilities of managing the stress that this person has over here. So some stuff comes up and this person's weird now pulling you in, you think it's in the world to so you talk to B who's like, I didn't know there's a problem. Or, yeah, it's a problem, is not a big one. And then you have to have the conversation that levels the playing field enough that you can help them sort their stuff out. Does that make sense? What's hard about this, you guys Talk to me. You might have tried to do this before. Talk to me the challenges.
1: One thing I've noticed, and you kind of mentioned it by saying in other word safe and how people doesn't uh, mm-hmm. feel safe. Well it seems like, especially among younger people, you know, people can say, Oh, that's awkward. Just about anything can be described as awkward or uncomfortable. It's like, how do you get practice doing something like that when nearly any situation can be personally perceived as being uncomfortable? But, so it seems like to me
0: like there's a you know, we don't have, I don't have ways to practice that. I'd like some. I think that's fascinating. I, 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 now this is not a professional observation, it's a personal observation. But it seems to me that, that many people in this world have gotten less skilled at one-on-one conflict. Is that fair enough? Now, I I there's probably 110 reasons and that social media may be a bunch of it, I don't know. But this unwilling, this, the uh, uncomfortable, willing to have the uncomfortable conversations is challenging, right? Uh I think the practice comes, I think you only get better at this with just doing it. But it's 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 interesting to me because if you're A, B, and C and you're A going to C, do not be surprised if they're if they are hesitant to have that conversation. So what happens if you guys help me out? If you go to C, you're now I don't necessarily think B goes with you that time in my experience, right? You know, you just kind of sip a cup of coffee and say, "Hey, B talked to me, Seems like attention, B asked me to help. I'm willing to sit down with you guys and kind of sort this out. Is that all right? What concerns do you have right you bring them and and they're hesitant. And they're like, "What is your responsibility at that point?" I believe your responsibility does not include forcing B to do something you want them to do. I think one of the places I see churches get in trouble is we try to force people into conversations they're not ready to have. And uh, and I one thing I love about it. the one thing that really drew me to otters when I spent time with leadership, and they're very much willing to let people grow at their own pace. One of my dear, dear friends. Was a minister in and another religious group in this uh, in the states that was heavy into discipleship, and if you didn't want to have a conversation, they would keep coming after you until you had it, right? Because their belief was going to make you open up and make you. And and he realized over a period of years, he told me, he said it's really damaging to people. We constantly go after them. So you got this interesting dynamic. You're A, you go to C, and C says, I, man, I just don't think I want to do it. I don't think I wanna have that conversation. Now think about now, we're thinking about Matthew 18, our responsibilities, our responsibilities as members of this body, our responsibilities as a person who's chosen to be involved, what you said to be, how might you kind of close that conversation out then? Think about it and
1: let me
0: know if you wanna get together at a later time. Okay, something along the lines of, you know, I am here, I'm willing to have this conversation, and I think it's important to say, you may not be ready to have, make that decision right now. I know I caught you cold. Why don't you spend some time and think about it. But there's one step further that you have an obligation to do, and what would that be?
1: Report back to B.
0: Yeah, go, go back to, yeah, go back to B. So you've gotta know, I'm gonna circle back to B because they asked me to do this and I told them I would and let them know we're not ready for this conversation and that I'm available for both of you guys. Is that making sense, yeah?
1: Seems like it'd be a great opportunity too, as you're talking to see, especially if they're one who didn't know there was a problem, You know, as you think about this and as you have interactions, or fail to have interactions, I mean, mm-hmm. be prayerful about it, be thinking about it, know that I'm always here. Um, but kind of remind them of that, Matthew, because the best thing that could happen is if they, B and C, were able to get back together themselves. Right. And, and like you started with that Great. expectation to start off with, and you should follow up with that with C as well.
0: So you, you're, and you help out, so here's your process in this, right? You decide, one, you decide whether you want to be involved. That's, very, that's a very biblical thing. You don't have to own everybody's stuff. We do a theology of that. But God didn't call me to own everybody else's stuff. Two, if you decide to be involved, you reach out to whoever is to build trust. Right? Now, maybe they both already trust you, both know you, just go to lunch. Right? But I'm saying that. If there's a rejection you then allow them autonomy. And what I mean by that not autonomy in, in Christ, but the decision within their faith walk to be ready to have that conversation, right? And you let them know you're going to be there and you let them know you're going to report back and I love the idea of I of maybe even some instruction. <clears throat> so guys, you know, if you look at Matthew 18, it seems like if you pro- there's a problem with your brother, that you- even though you don't feel it they do maybe you guys can sort that out if you can't sort that out by themselves I am still happy to be the person to help you do that
1: yeah I given the the perception that we are a body and you are not aware that there's a problem and so like as you're as you're examining this check your heart check the way that you're plugged in check the way that your actions might be being interpreted by someone else because it's an opportunity for them to grow as well. So leave that as an
0: opportunity. Leave, and, and then walk that fine line of giving them opportunity to see themselves without guilting them. right? That's what I wanted to say within triangles. This is where we know for sure, working in, in groups of people, when you, this person starts working off guilt, now they're saying, I have to. They feel ganged up upon, and they may come to some conclusion, but it rarely sticks. A right? couple other rules about triangles. Is that so? One rule is that you have power being invited in. A second rule is one side is usually more upset than the other. A third rule of a triangle is that um, that you never, you rarely directly change the triangle. You very rarely directly change people. What I mean by that is, you don't get to saying you want to be involved doesn't mean you get to sit down and lecture people on how they ought to be. Right? It is not a matter of, and I think most people who are fighting in church aren't fighting because of lack of biblical knowledge. Fair enough? Most of them aren't fighting because they just didn't know what the Bible said. They didn't know Matthew 18 existed. They, you know, and they read Matthew 18, they go, oh, well, I should be a better person, and they're fine. That, those, that's a part of it, because we always instruct. The fact remains, you rarely go in and say, You ought to do this, and you ought to do this. This is what I want to do. I want to move in and say, you behave, and you behave. Stop being childish. Stop being sensitive. Get over it, and move on. And and that doesn't work in any organization. It sure doesn't work within the body. Fair enough? But yet, we tend to do that a lot. Why do you think that is? Why do we want to instruct people into better behavior? we're getting put out by it. What's that? I said, in a way, we're getting put out by it because here we are rocking along, and then all of a sudden, you know, whether we willingly insert ourselves because we were asked or or dragged into it more forcibly, all of a sudden, our day has been ruined because two other people... Now you got me in, well, it's kind of like your kids, right? Because your kids drag you into something, and then it's like, you go to your room, and you be quiet, and you move on. And even with kids, that kind of direct instruction works for about 45 minutes. Mm -hmm and then they're right back to where they were before, right? So if you can't directly, so the system says, you can't just instruct them into being better, what do you think we should do? What is your goal? If you can't just instruct them into being better, you do this and you do this, and you pull them together and, and, and you have this coffee conversation, what's your goal in that room at that moment? Facilitate conversation. Okay, let them talk, right? That being in itself may or may not get where it goes, but you've got to do that if you can't get anything done. What else is going to have to happen? Because there are people I can talk to till the cows come home, but we're still not going to be any better. We're just going to dislike each other more. You've got to find a light in the tunnel for them to see somehow. Oh, what, are you, good. what do you mean by that? Both of, typically, both of them <laughs> <line. laughs> And you've got to find some point to where, oh, we haven't looked in that direction. to to send the conversation down that road. So one of the rules is your job is to provide a hope in this conversation. That's one of your jobs. One of your jobs is to provide there is hope for this to be better. There is. And so if anybody in the room is going to be kind of the hope caster, the positive person, given the vision, it needs to be A. So, So one of those is provide. How do we do that? So what are ways we provide hope? You can, One is to just say, hey guys, it could look like this, right? What else are you going to try to do to provide hope? Could you do the agree
1: to disagree?
0: That's okay. Agree? I think that's part of what you do, right? I think part of hope is we, we, we cast a vision that it can be better. Now, not a guilt-driven vision. You Christians need to behave, right? That's not the world's best hopeful vision. But a description of what this could be like when we fit and a phrase of you know when we figure this out this is what it could be like Is that making sense so this is can you imagine when, when this is all worked out which is gonna look like for you and your families and all the stuff that's behind us and we're together and you're casting hope with that yes this
1: is saying one of the things that's the most difficult is providing an ear uh, so you hear both sides and you allow them to hear one another better, mm-hmm.
0: um, because they might yeah, facilitate yeah, right so you're facilitating
1: But also helping them to even understand what the conflict is, is sometimes, or
0: how how they're perceiving it. So one thing you're doing is helping clarify what's going on. So how they perceive it, you're uh, you also are going to be the one side of hope. The other is 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 you got to be kind of good at this. You got to be is be reality tester. If if we don't, you know, guys, let's let's say we don't work on this. Let's say that you guys just continue on, you know. What's that look like for you? Is that good? Are you all okay with that? Are you still okay with not talking to each other? Is this where you want to go because I can, we got this out here or we got this over here? And, you, and rarely have they thought that far down the road in these conversations. They're just avoiding pain, right? People just mostly want to mitigate pain. They really don't want to have a conversation. So here you are saying, look, we can have this and that awesome. I'm going to help you facilitate the conversation to so stand one another, you know, understand or stand. Uh, one another. And if you don't do business, it's going to look like this. Right? That's part of your job. And finally, and this is the toughest part, help them work on processes to engage one another. Not solve this problem. Because if they have big problems and you just solve the one problem, what's going to happen? They're just going to have another one and another one, and another one. So your conversations are about how do we not let this happen again? What, how do we want to engage each other so that we're not constantly going back to this? Is that making sense to you? And help them work on ways they, they plan to do that. If you guys help me, what are some of those processes? You got an A and B, they've had conflicts over the years, it's one thing after another, you're trying to help them sort it out. What could be some processes they might use boundaries. Okay, what do you mean?
1: Well, I have some friends that they don't have boundaries in their relationship. And it's been, you know, that's what's broken it down. So, you know, one person has an expectation for the friendship that was set by the other person. And, you know, one person thinks this person needs her to be this way oh, for yeah. them to have a relationship. And if they went back
0: and they set some healthy boundaries for that, you know, she would feel a lot safer. Yeah. And so you have this interesting kind of dynamic where people have all these expectations. They're unrealistic, they're on top of one another, and there's no no good boundaries. I, I Relationships, I, I've said in class before, but relationships are on a sliding scale, right? Have we talked about that before. So one end of the scale is like enmeshed, no boundaries. Right? They're just all over one another. And then they're in each other's stuff. I. I was, when I was in uh, getting my MDiv, we had to take counseling courses. And I learned I'm an awful counselor. <laughs> By, I am, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you did what? <laughs> counseling mentality, right? Uh, there's a great video with, have you ever seen it? It's with a guy who used to be on a, what's his name? Stop it. makes basically the stop it video. Who's the guy? Bob Newhart. Top Bob Buhart, stop. There's a wonderful video where he's a therapist, and all he ever says is, this "Girl says, 'Why well, am Well, stop it!" And that was me. <laughs> so I'm that, but I, but I did have this mom and daughter in kind of a counseling session. I was in, and the the, the girl said, "It feels like mom and I are in the same skin sometimes." Besides being creepy, I understand what they mean. There's just all this stuff, right? The other end was me. By nature, is I disengage? If I get really upset, I can check out, right? The healthiest place, and this is going to be really hard, and I want you to think about this one. If you don't agree with this, it's okay. I think the most Christian thing we can do is we can care about people who can't care too much. I think we, we care about people and walk along beside people and provide them and let people be responsible for themselves and set their own structures and their own boundaries. And that may mean that they don't walk the walk the same way we do. But we still can is that making sense respect one another in that and and my tendency under stress is to just not care at all just blow it off other people get over involved and try to make people behave a certain way uh, so I, I think that's an interesting concept so that's that's a great great process tool. help them set some boundaries what else could we do what time's up but what else could we do yeah I don't know if this is a process but if you can facilitate people praying for the situation and each other, yeah. there's tremendous power in that. That's a process. So anything you do to directly deal with the relationship outside of point fingers, right? Mm-hmm. So it could be something as simple as, look, you guys can't even talk to one another. Let's commit two weeks to prayer where you pray for that person. And you're not on a pray, prayer David. you don't want God to strike him and his enemies dead. You know, I'm that prayer. <laughs> We're going to pray over here that God do something that opens relationship. Just for two weeks you have that prayer. Again, you see what I'm saying? I saw one other hand. We ran out of time, but here's what I want you to see. That it is normal when people get into conflict to draw other people in. And they're going to pull you in because you're the body of Christ. Instead of feeling like a victim, you need to really understand what kind of power you have. You have the power of choice. You can choose to be involved. You can choose not to be involved. If you choose to be involved, usually one side is more engaged than the other. You're gonna to have to build trust with that other side but allow them autonomy to make those decisions, right? And then once you bring them together, you need to think in terms of processes. You're a hope provider, you're a reality tester, you're not there to directly tell people to be different, you're helping them understand ways they engage one another. And though that begins the very hard work of reconciliation. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. We will check in next week. I think Matt's up or me? I don't know. You're up next week? Oh, probably me? Okay. All right, sounds
1: good.